and welcome to Our American States, a podcast from the National Conference of State Legislatures. This podcast is all about legislatures, the people in them, the policies, process, and politics that shape them. I'm your host, Ed Smith. One of the harder aspects is getting program areas that don't normally consider themselves part of aging services to see how their efforts intersect with and influence aging policy. We really have tried to frame this in a way that older adults bring so much wisdom and knowledge and resources to their communities. And how can we kind of integrate them into problem solving, not only at the state level, but also locally and at the community level where kind of real impact happens. Those are the voices of Holly Riley, the Aging Services Coordination Director for Texas Health and Human Services, and Jared Hughes, a Senior Policy Advisor on Aging for the Governor of Colorado. They're my guests on the podcast. The U.S. population is aging. In a little more than a decade, people 65 and older will outnumber children. Those older adults face economic, social, and other challenges, including the need for an array of long-term services. Policymakers in a number of states are considering comprehensive approaches to support older adults. A few states have created what are termed master plans for aging that outline how the state can take on challenges in housing, transportation, healthcare, and other sectors. My guests discuss how their states have responded, how they've tried to get key groups to work together, and some of the lessons learned over years of developing their state plans. Here's our discussion. Ollie and Jarrett, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks, Ed. Well, thanks to both of you for coming on the show uh, to talk about the efforts in your states to develop and implement comprehensive plans for your aging population. So to start, I wonder if each of you could tell us about how the effort began in your state and whether it was a legislative or executive initiative and, and who took the leadership role, or maybe more than one person took the leadership role. Holly, uh, why don't we start with Texas? How'd you guys handle it? Our efforts actually began in 1998 when then the Texas State Unit on Aging launched our Aging Texas Well initiative, and its design is to help Texans prepare for aging uh, aging-related issues and aging-related needs. And then in 20, 2005, Aging Texas Well was formalized uh, via an executive order that had six mandates for our state to undertake, including uh, assessing state readiness, reviewing state policy, helping build local capacity, and developing partnerships. All of these efforts are also mandated to be defined in a strategic working plan, which is our master plan on aging. And that is shared biennially with the governor and the legislature. So there's a few people involved in its development, its collaboration, and its leadership. Well, as, as most good things are, there's collaboration and working across silos so that that makes a lot of sense. Jared, uh, what kind of path did you take in Colorado to uh, come up with a plan? Yeah, here in Colorado, we had a legislative initiative in 2015, uh, House Bill 15-1033, to create the Strategic Action Planning Group on Aging. And the real kind of intent there was to kind of take what I would say a non-traditional approach to looking at aging and trying to move beyond kind of um, the narrative of uh, fragility and poverty and decline, I think that had been common. And so 
we really tried to take a proactive approach, kind of looking comprehensively across issues and really kind of take a lifespan perspective um, as we approached it. And, uh, you know, we were fortunate enough to have our current lieutenant governor, uh, Diane Primavera, run the bill when she was in the House back in 2015. Um, and so we've been able to have some continuity in that work uh, over the last six years. Well, Jared, let me stay with you for a minute. As you suggest, and as I've, I've read, you need to coordinate across a lot of different policy areas. We all know that that's not always the easiest thing in the world to do. So I wonder, how did you folks in Colorado approach that? And, and what were the key groups that you had to get working together, talking together to, to make all this come together? I think collaboration, you mentioned it earlier, will probably be a key theme uh, throughout the conversation. Um, you know, we really had on the front end um, a strong coalition of folks, including uh, AARP Colorado, um, Bell Policy Center, Denver Regional Council of Governments, and our State Association of Area Agencies on Aging that um, really came together to kind of initiate and kick the work off. But, you know, that was just kind of a starting point. And I think one of the components that we've tried to be very conscious of is the need to work horizontally across state agencies, but also the necessity to work vertically with local governments, the nonprofits, and our private sector. Because as you say, it's it's not easy to focus on workforce development and transportation planning and health and human services and all of these broad and um, dynamic interrelated issues. But in the structure of creating the Strategic Action Planning Group on Aging, which was a state board um, or commission, if you will, um, we were very intentional about having state agency designees, um, and then also very intentional about having designees from different sectors that could really help inform and really uh, help develop a what we would consider a comprehensive and integrated approach. Um, but it takes a lot of relationship building, um, and that takes time. So I think the importance of relationships and collaboration really cannot be uh, overstated. Holly, what's your perspective uh, from Texas? Was that a similar kind of uh, exercise in getting a lot of different people, both uh, from maybe the private community and the uh, uh, and, and government together? We, we definitely have similarities there for sure. Our agency, Texas Health and Human Services Commission, administers a large array of health and human service programs, including Medicaid, mental behavioral health services, Older Americans Act programming. We are the state unit on aging. We have regulatory uh, licensing. Those are just a few of what we do in HHSC. And being in one agency really makes it a lot easier for us to connect with the policy areas that have input in our plan. Also, one of the mandates in the executive order establishes our Aging Texas Well Advisory Committee that's made up of subject matter experts from across the state. And they're really great at connecting us with external policy specialists, stakeholders like AARP Texas, uh, who provide input on our plans development. And then our advisory committee itself also has uh, contributions to the plan by providing their own priorities and recommendations. One of the harder aspects is getting program areas that don't normally consider themselves part of aging services to see how their efforts intersect with and influence aging policy. And the broader awareness and understanding of social determinants of health has really helped with bringing others on board. And once you're able to show people how their service or program 
connects with aging services, it's much easier to get their participation. So Holly, let me stay with you for a minute. I know that you've got a very thorough, detailed plan down there, and, and let's talk a little bit into the details. What what are the what are the priorities? What are the the key things you're trying to achieve for your older population there in Texas? Well, we've had kind of a long trajectory with this. Um, as I mentioned, the executive order mandates a biennial strategic working plan that guides our efforts. Over the years, it's moved between various oversights office and the strategic focus that was the foundation of Aging Texas Well got a little lost in transitions, and the plan kind of became a a call and response to the mandates that we had established. So here's the mandate. Here's what we're doing to meet the mandate. We were really inspired by other states' master plans to reassess ours and look into its relationship to other strategic plans in our organization to ensure that we didn't have redundancies and that there's value in our plan, really bringing it back to focus of the strategic planning and readiness. With our 2023 plan, this is kind of a a relaunch for us, we took a step to be more inclusive with uh, our strategizing. We surveyed older adults, their family caregivers, the aging service provider network to identify what their current and anticipated needs are. And their top responses became our priorities in our plan. Then we overlaid the executive order mandates to those priority areas to ensure that we were doing what we're charged to do. Some of the priority needs that we heard uh, included from older adults, uh, they're concerned about their current and future physical health, having opportunities to engage with each other, social connection, uh, and the ability, availability of local services and supports. And then caregiver priorities highlighted their concerns of uh, their mental and physical health, uh, current and long-term and the challenges of balancing caregiving with their work duties. And then for the service providers, the administrative and policy issues that are impacting them uh, focused on funding, staffing, there's some big surprises, and the ability to address social isolation, food insecurity, and transportation issues. So gathered those priorities, and they became the priorities for our master plan. And then we reached out to that large array of programs across our agency to identify their strategies in addressing those. Many of those priorities that you're <clears throat> mentioning have really been exacerbated with with the pandemic, things like social isolation and, and that sort of thing. So that's uh, interesting to see how those dovetail. Jared, I know the uh, Strategic Action Plan on Aging in Colorado is uh, also a pretty deep dive uh, into these issues. And I wonder what you see as the priorities and key goals there and how you see things going in your state. You know, one of our overarching priorities in putting those documents together, and I think that kind of helped lead our strategic thinking and planning was really trying to take this age positive approach to the work and kind of really looking at our shifting demographics as an opportunity versus being something that we really had to react and uh, respond to in a um, kind of a negative way or a uh, resource scarcity perspective, if you will. We really have tried to frame this in a way that older adults bring so much wisdom and knowledge and resources to their communities. And how can we kind of integrate them into problem solving, not only at the state level, but also 
locally and at the community level where kind of real impact happens. So I think, you know, more specifically, um, right now, we are really kind of prioritizing a few key areas, um, and those really include, you know, addressing health disparities and focusing on social determinants of health, um, as Holly kind of mentioned. And we do that through state policy, but we also really try to do that through supporting age-friendly and livable community work, um, kind of through a you know, the model laid out by AARP and the World Health Organization that really supports access to those key domains of livability, um, which I think significantly overlap with social determinants of health. Also, we're very intentional about the reality that we have to make strategic investments in our aging network and within our area agencies on aging. Um, you know, we have to make capital infrastructure investments. We have to try new emerging technology and pilot demonstration projects and um, other types of creative proactive investments that allow us to use our resources in a more efficient way. One of the other key priorities within all of this work has been workforce development. And I think there's two pieces to that. And we have focused a lot on our direct care workforce. Um, we know that right now, not only in Colorado, I'm sure Texas is the same way, but across the country, we are having a direct care worker crisis. Um, and that is one of the areas that we are working on probably more tirelessly than any at the moment. But on the flip side of that, there's a reality that our labor force is aging. And, you know, we need to have um, business places and employers and policies in place that support older adults, whether or not they are caregiving for grandchildren or um, caregiving for a spouse, but really making sure that we can use that experience and that work history for the betterment of our economy overall. And then I think, you know, the last two pieces that I think Colorado is really focused on at the moment is really supporting retirement security and investment. Uh, you know, we created a Colorado Secure Savings Program through our state treasurer, and that gives folks access to um, an IRA type retirement plan in the private sector whose employers do not offer it. Um, so that is an opportunity for folks to invest and support their retirement security um, later on in life. And then uh, just supporting our family caregivers. I think you know, family caregiving is the backbone of our long-term service and support system. And uh, we have a lot of work to do um, and have really kind of uh, drilled down on trying to support um, our family caregivers as much as possible. Thanks, Jarrett. We're going to take a short break and then come back with the rest of our discussion. Get a head start on your workday with NCSL Today, a roundup of the day's most important state headlines delivered to your inbox. It's just one of several NCSL newsletters that focus on the latest trends in public policy. Subscribe to NCSL Today or any newsletter by going to the News tab at ncsl.org and selecting e-newsletters. Be the first to know the latest on public policy news. And subscribe to NCSL Today, today. You know, one of the things we uh, we love to do on this podcast is ask people about lessons learned because the, one of our goals is to share information across states and uh, hope people will uh, profit from hearing other people's successes and uh, also, you know, maybe their mistakes or their, their challenges that they had. So I'm wondering, uh, Jarrett, let me stay with you for a minute. What would you say are some of the key lessons learned uh, from your experience? You guys both have quite a bit of experience in this. So what would you uh, what would you put at the top of your list of lessons learned? Obviously, this work has to be done through somewhat of a systems lens. And 
but realizing that all the different levels of that system have to be represented at the table. Um, I think I kind of touched on it earlier, but, you know, having state agency representatives from whether or not it's the division of housing or our, you know, health promotion and chronic disease prevention or, um, you know, innovative mobility and transportation planning, having those folks together, but also having county commissioners and city council members and the private sector and nonprofit represented at the table is critically important to success because it really is, um, it's a, it's a dynamic and interdependent process. Whereas, you know, we can't just make state policy and expect it to be effectively implemented at the local level if we don't have good collaboration and good partnerships. Um, I think that's kind of a top line takeaway for me for this work. And when I look across the country and talk with other states about how they go about this work, I have really kind of seen kind of four key components that I um, often think about. And, you know, I see one uh, responsive and proactive state office on aging or state unit. Um, I see an engaged and empowered citizen advisory council to help inform that work. Um, I also notice, you know, very strong local community-based organizations that can really take the lead. Um, And then I also have seen a common thread of, having a strong philanthropic foundation to really kind of help drive innovation and help support things that maybe local governments or the state aren't doing yet. Um, And I think having all those pieces bundled together um, is very important. And I think that we're very much trying to build out that structure in Colorado. Um, And I think we're lucky to have a lot of organizations that fit that bill. I think the other piece I would add there is um, really the importance of having clear goals and achievable metrics uh, in your work. And I think um, when I look back, I think that's something that I wish um, we had done a little bit better of, but something we're very much kind of uh, moving towards now and I think remedying a bit. Being able to really track that success helps with not only being able to demonstrate it and show it publicly, but it helps ensure accountability. And I think that's what folks really want to see. And then it really allows you to kind of celebrate your successes and uh, reevaluate where you might need to um, kind of shift and refocus a bit. Well, that's interesting. What I'm hearing from both of you is uh, your agencies ran into some problems, recognized them and said, well, you know, we got to shift gears here a little bit to make this this work better, which I, I, I've got to think is, is the healthiest response to that sort of thing. Uh, Holly, how about you? What are the lessons learned there in Texas? One of the first lessons learned is just through the longevity of this initiative of our Aging Texas Well initiative. When it was initially created, it was looking at that time down the road to when baby boomers would meet retirement age and identifying ways to help meet their anticipated needs. Well, that moment has come and continues on. So for us, you know, a lesson learned is this type of strategic planning should not be thought of as having a defined like goal line, if you will. It should be um, a continual effort of looking ahead, asking the questions, analyzing the data, and realigning the roadmap as necessarily. Just what Jared just said. When we created Aging Texas Well, it had and continues to have at its core 16 impact areas that guide our work and um, their impact us personally and as communities serving older adults. That was 23 years ago. And uh, while those issues are still 
very much relevant. Others have come up and at times superseded those initial 16. So for a lesson for us, another one is that uh, the plan and the initiative needs to learn from changes, exactly again what Jared was talking about, and have a structure that can accommodate that. And then I think you also have to be honest with what the plan, what the plan can and can't do. You know, it, it can't answer all the questions or identify all the issues. And I would not want to be overdeveloping that plan if that was its goal. That's just too much. So now I know that in, uh, I'm sorry, Jared, go ahead, jump in. Yeah, thanks. I, Holly said something, you said something earlier also that I meant to follow up on, but you mentioned kind of um, non-traditional partners, I think. And that's been a really big key too. And I don't think that was something that, I necessarily thought much about, um, or we thought much about on the front end of this process, but through the work have really come to realize that, you know, we need our planners, you know, our city planners and our city managers. And, um, just it's, it's, it's very easy to kind of have, um, you know, your human service providers come to the table and the folks that are familiar with this work, but being able to connect the dots with your non-traditional partners is really critical to that buy-in and success, like, you know, real estate developers, et cetera. Um, so I wanted to add that. Agree a hundred percent. They bring so much to the table too. You know, they've always should have always been a part of it. And I think just out of habit and, um, and just ease of work, you know, we just kind of stay in our same systems. And when we reach out and, and connect with others, not only does it, invest them and empower them. It really enriches the whole process. Well, let me ask you this as we wrap up. Our audience, of course, is legislators, legislative staff, and others interested in state policy. And now I know in Texas, it was uh, an executive side. In Colorado, it was legislative side that was an, involved at the uh, at the initiating level. But I would wonder what kind of advice you would have for legislators, if they wanted to either get involved or to uh, ramp up an initiative uh, in their state. Uh, Holly, let me start with you. I know even though in your state it was a, a different uh, a different uh, initiator, uh, what's your thought about that? What should legislators think about? I would, I would encourage you to engage with your older constituents and find out what their needs are and where they're having challenges. And then connect with your aging, your local aging services providers and see where there are resources that can be brought into service and identify opportunities to encourage, again, that collaboration in your communities, because it's not something one person or agency can do. I would also ask that you connect with your state unit on aging to see how you can support their strategic planning and master plans on aging, because, again, it's a group effort. Jared, uh, you get the final word. What would your uh, parting advice be? I think the the first step for is, is kind of adoption of this is an issue area, right? Kind of recognizing that this is something that the state should be focusing on. And I think that, you know, Holly kind of said it, you know, ask your constituents what they're seeing throughout this process. But also, I think look internally and look within your families and kind of have this conversation about, what's happening with um, your grandparents or your great aunts or kind of all these folks that you see and try to understand that process and then think about how that has systemic impacts across your state. I think kind of that, that realization component is often from my experience, uh, I see it in 
through family caregiving. I think that's how a lot of folks come to the table. They experience that and they they begin to realize that this is a complicated process that you have to navigate. And so they come, they show up and they start doing the work and realize that there's this whole kind of broad spectrum of issue areas to focus on. Um, and it's really dynamic and I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's pretty interesting and it's, and it's, it's really great work. Our entire country's demographics are shifting and demography is an evidence base and a foundation that should be used through this work. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't lie. Um, and there are broad systemic impacts associated with demographic shifts. And then I think Holly kind of said this too, but I think one of the things that I think legislatures could do that is always important is work with your state agency leaders. Um, you know, there's so much subject matter expertise scattered across state governments um, and really tapping into that as a resource is really critical. Um, and then again, you know, working with your community-based organizations and your advocates to really kind of have a really comprehensive, holistic perspective and get to know your local area agency on aging. Get to know those folks. Um, I think that uh, they can tell you everything they see at the local level and um, how that impacts your constituents. Well, as somebody who falls squarely in this demographic, I, I, I have to agree. That sounds pretty interesting. Holly, you were going to add something. I just, I just want to hear here, Jared, this is good work. This is exciting work. Um, I'm, I'm grateful to be doing this work and be able to work with the professionals on this important topic. So when you said that, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I think one of the other things I'd add that I didn't mention yet, which surprises me is I think the value in trying to do this work intergenerationally as well um, and trying to bring together different perspectives and, um, you know, folks of different ages to help do this planning and problem solving. I, I am very fortunate to have been able to work with folks in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s over the years and really get to learn and absorb so much um, for someone who is still very much kind of a, um, early on in their career, I would say. So um, it's been incredibly personally rewarding, but also just professionally, I think we come up with better solutions when we go that route. Well, thanks to both of you for the work you're doing. And thank you for walking us through this topic and what's going on in your states. Take care. And that concludes this episode of our podcast. We encourage you to review and rate NCSL podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We also encourage you to check out our other podcasts, Legislatures, The Inside Story, and the special series, Building Democracy. Thanks for listening.